grace is when God gives us something great just because. Have you ever given anybody something good? Have you ever did an act of kindness for somebody, not because they deserved it, not because there was anything that they had done that you felt like you owed them something back? It was just simply an act of kindness. That's what grace is. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. Now, let's talk about Paul for a moment, because I want us to understand the magnitude of this statement. The Apostle Paul was what he called a Pharisee of Pharisees. He wasn't just a teacher of the law. He wasn't just a, 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 a somebody that understood the law and that was studied in the law and that, and that had respect amongst the religious leaders of his day. He was, if you will, a pastor to pastors. He was somebody who had authority with the way he walked, authority with what he spoke, his opinions matter, his decisions had impact. He was a man of influence, even amongst the most influential of his day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul later goes on to say, but I am the chiefest of sinners. Paul had the revelation come to him that and, and, and really it took place when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus while he was still Saul. Saul was his original name. God gave him a new name, Paul. And in that moment, everything changed when Saul realized that all of his external stuff and all of the religious activities and all of the church attendance and the Bible Scriptures and the memorizing this and that and being able to teach people the things of God and being recognized in society as a religious, pious man, that all of it was not enough for him to stand in front of God righteous and clean. That he needed a Savior. This is when Paul began to get the revelation of grace in his life. The Bible tells us that Paul spent three years in basic seclusion after his conversion before, um, if you will, going on a preaching circuit, before really starting his ministry. It took Paul three years to get everything wrapped up in his mind and, and, and see how wrong everything else that he had always been taught was. It's very possible to know a lot of the Word of God, but not know God at all. It's very possible to twist the Word of God to your own destruction and to be truly self-deceived into thinking that you're right with God, when in reality you're not. Paul said, I've got to go back and I've got to look at this. I've studied this my whole life. I, I, I know this stuff. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. But I've got to go back and relearn this thing. And he spent three years going over the law. And it's through that three years of study and the three years of revelation and the changing of his heart by the power of God's grace that we have the greatest letters ever written about how the Old Testament law points forward to Christ and how all the ceremonies were simply a substance of the, th of the shadow of the substance to come. It was Paul who saw these things. This is the Apostle Paul who stood before kings and testified on behalf of God. 
This, this is the Apostle Paul who no matter how much people hated him, no matter how times he was shipwrecked, no matter how times he was in prison, no matter how time, many times he was nearly beaten to death, somehow, someway, he came out of it alive and kept on preaching until his last dying breath and God's will for his life was accomplished. Here's what Paul says. I am what I am by the grace of God. Not I am what I am because of my great work. Not I am what I am because of how committed I am. Not I am what I am because of, of all the education I had as a child and all the training I had as a Pharisee and all the, the things I have that you do not. He said, I have nothing to lean on but the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. This morning, I want to preach to you about grace. Specifically, the grace of God. And I want to show you five things about God's grace this morning. His unmerited favor. First of all, it is a pursuing grace. The, and this will be the longest Scripture reference that I use this morning. But I want to show you a story in Luke chapter 14 about God's pursuing grace. In Luke chapter 14, in verse 16... Through 24, let's look at the text together. Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. Beginning in verse 16. Then he, that being the king, said to him, uh, that Jesus said to him, a service, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to come to those who were invited. Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Jesus gives a parable of the king inviting everybody to come to his dinner table. This is the grace of God. Our hearts are dead in our trespasses. That means that we are dead unto God. That there will never come within us a desire to truly seek God, to come to His table, to find forgiveness and salvation at the foot of the cross, unless God first, by His grace, comes to us and invites us to come. Jesus said, No man comes unto me unto the Father except through Me. Later He told us, that nobody comes unless the Father draws them. I want to say this morning that God in His amazing grace eventually at one point in the life of every man, woman, boy, and child will invite you to come. 
We see in the text that everybody was invited. Those that were workers, those that were married, those that had things to do, those that were poor and blind and lame. And he said, go into the highways and the hedges. In other words, go everywhere there is and invite everybody to come. This is what Jesus told his disciples in Mark 16. He said, go into all the world and preach to all the creatures the gospel of the kingdom. In God's grace, he first comes to us. When I got saved, it looked like I was kind of searching for God, but really God was coming and searching for me. And in His grace, though I was wicked and evil and selfish and God-hating and self-loving, God in His grace, not because of anything I'd done, I certainly did not deserve it. But grace is undeserved. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And God in His amazing grace, He came to me and He comes to each and every one of us and He invites us to His table and He says, come. This is where salvation starts. The inviting of God. The amazing grace of God. This morning, God's grace is going out. But as we see, most reject the grace of God. It seems like such a foolish thought that anybody would reject an offer to come eat dinner at the king's table. But as stupid as these excuses are so too are equally stupid the excuses people give for not truly surrendering to God and repenting of their sins, placing their faith in a loving Savior, and giving their lives to Him. With one accord, they made excuses. The first said to Him, I bought a piece of ground. We see here the love of the world. I've got too much things that I still want to do. Things here in this life, this small kingdom of mine that I feel like I've got to work on, that I need to build, that that quite frankly I don't want to turn from. I don't want anything to take my time away from it as I'm building my small little earthly kingdom. The next man said, I just bought some oxen and I've got to work. I need to test them. There are those, for one reason or another, they think they cannot serve God because of their work. They can't be faithful to God. They can't be a man or woman of God. They can't surrender to Him because they are too committed to their work. They are too committed to their job. Another said, I've married a wife. In other words, I've got family that won't be favorable to this. I've got uh, somebody that uh, needs more attention or, 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 or somebody in my life, whether it's a husband or a wife or children, that, that won't be happy about me going to this marriage supper. And so, rather than going and being right with God and taking the invitation, I will stay and go to hell with them. The excuses people make for not surrendering to God. My husband will walk out on me. My wife will walk out on me. My children will think I'm crazy. My family will think I'm nuts. I want you to understand the Bible has one word for all of it. Excuses. There's a big difference between a reason and an excuse. There will come a day when everybody who has ever had the invitation to come will wish they would have taken it. They will see how foolish it was to say no to the King of Kings for their oxen. To say no to the offer of eternal life so they could build their small earthly kingdom which would soon pass away. To say no to an eternal loving relationship with God and His people. To remain in a relationship that was hostile towards God and His love. There will come a time when everybody will wish they had taken that invitation. 
But God's grace, it starts there. I am what I am by the grace of God. You will either be who God wants you to be by God's grace, or you will be who you want to be by rejecting God's grace. Those are the two options. But God's grace is good. It is, it is, it is above and beyond what we could ever imagine. It comes to us when we are undeserving. And I want to say this morning that He went to everybody. There is nobody that the offer of grace is not extended to. It doesn't matter how bad you've been, how much you've sinned, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're skinny, whether you're fat, whether you're bald, whether you got hair. It doesn't matter. God's grace goes to everybody this morning. And His offer, He stands with arms wide open to the world and says, all of you that are willing, come unto Me and I will give you life. We don't deserve it. We haven't did anything to earn it. But God's grace is good and His love for us, though we don't deserve it, is so beyond our ability to fully grasp and understand. But this morning, can I say thank God for the grace of God that came to this old sinner boy when I was nothing but a wretched loser, a drug addict, hopeless, without any reason to live. His grace came to me. It sought me out and changed me forever. God's grace is a pursuing grace. Secondly, this morning, God's grace is a paying grace. In Romans chapter 3, we see that God's grace, it doesn't only pursue us, it pays for us. Romans chapter 3, just two verses here this morning, verses 24 and 25. Being justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. We're justified by His grace, redeemed through the blood. You have to understand that word redeemed. To redeem means to buy something back. It's not really the first time you purchase it. It carries along with it the meaning of it once used to belong to me or someone And for one reason or another, maybe somebody could not pay a debt. This thing was taken in possession of another. In order to get back the possession, I must pay what was due. That is a brief nutshell of what the word redeemed means. Because of our sin, we became, the Bible says in John chapter 8, children of the devil. Jesus said to those there, your father, your father is the father of lies. He's been a liar since the beginning. He referred to the people as children of the devil. Either your father's God or your father's Satan. There really is no in-between this morning. And the Bible says that we were redeemed, justified by the grace of God. We see that God's grace is a paying grace. That when there was a price to be paid, God said, I'll pay the price. What was the price? The price was death. The wages of sin is death. There are a lot of terrible things that we can do in this world. There are a lot of evil things that man can do to man, that people can do to people. But the most wicked thing that any of us can do is to look a loving God in the eyes and say, I will not surrender to you. You are not good. You do not deserve my life. And I will live how I want to live. And this is the way of the sinner. And the penalty of that wickedness 
is eternal damnation. Death, distance away from God. This is where we were. This is where many of you are here this morning under the sound of my voice. And God stands and says, I will pay the price. I will pay the price. Jesus went to Calvary. This was the purpose of the cross. It was the will of the Father that there might be a way out for each and every one of us this morning. And when we could not pay the cost, when we could not find a way out, God's grace said, I will step in and I will do for them what they cannot do for themselves. I will pay the penalty. I will take the weight of the world on my shoulders, the sins of the world, and I will pay for them. And I will nail them to the cross this morning. God's grace, not only does it pursue us, but it pays for us in full. There's nothing else I have to add. There's nothing else I have to do. I can stand before God this morning cleansed and clean and righteous in His sight because the blood of the Lamb has been accounted to me. I have been redeemed and I am now His child. That, my friends, is the paying grace of God. Don't ever forget it, child of God. Don't ever forget it when you begin to feel condemned and beat up because you're failing and you think you have something to, that you've got to add. Know that God has paid it all. Jesus said it's finished. His love's a pursuing grace, a paying grace. It's also a perfecting grace. I read the text, I am what I am by the grace of God. I believe this one point is probably the point we get the most wrong in the modern day American Christian church. God's grace is a perfecting grace. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He acknowledged he was nothing without God's grace. But let me tell you what else Paul said. Paul said, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Paul said, look at my life and follow me. That's what Paul said. The average Christian says, don't look at me. We're all sinners. Don't look at me. I'm not an example. And we hide behind grace as a cowardly reason to live in sin, to not live righteous lives, to not truly be thankful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we hide behind it. But Paul said, no, follow me. Paul said, examine my life. We look at the life of Paul. Paul was committed to God. And what I want to say this morning is that God's grace has the power to change us. It's a process. Matter of fact, my next uh, passage is God's is a it's a perfecting grace and a protecting grace. It's a process. You're not going to be perfect overnight. You'll never be perfect. But to hide behind that statement as an excuse to live your life in sin is evidence you've never really been touched by grace, because the grace of Almighty God is so powerful and so great that not only does it pursue us, not only does it pay for us but it perfects us. It changes us in a moment of time. His grace is that powerful. The real grace of Almighty God. It'll turn a lying man into an honest man. It'll turn a stealing man into a giving man. It'll turn a cussing man into a man who speaks righteousness with his lips. The grace of God changes us. His grace is powerful. The day that I got saved, first words out of my mouth, 
My girlfriend, we've got to quit our sinning. We've got to quit our living together. We've got to quit hanging out with the friends we hang out with. We've got to quit our drinking. We've got to quit using drugs. That's what came out of my mouth because God's grace changes us. All the foolishness of those who so wrongly believe that God's grace will save them from hell and yet not change their lives. Those who think God's grace is somehow powerful enough to wipe away all their sins and cause them to be in right standing with God, and yet so weak that it can't change the way they live. Whatever grace that is, it's not the grace of God. It's not the grace of the Bible. God's grace changes us. It changes us from the inside out. God's grace changes who we are as people. God's grace will cause us to love our enemies. God's grace will cause us to have compassion the way He had compassion on us when we weren't worthy. We were worthless. There was no reason He should love us or come to us or change us, but He did anyways because He loves us with a God-like love that none other can find on this face of this earth. He is a God of grace and His grace changes us from the inside out. There are too many who think, I can't come to God. I've got to change myself. I've got to change this, Pastor. I'm this and I'm that. And I've got this thing in my life I've got to change. I've got that thing in my life I've got to change. You know why it's not changed, sir? Why it's not changed, ma'am? Because you can't change it on your own. You need the grace of God. And it's unmerited. You've got to get that in your heart and in your mind. It's unmerited. There's nothing you can do to earn it. The idea that you've got to clean yourself up and go through this process and that process and stop doing this for this amount of time and and then you're going to come to God. That's not the Bible. Those people who come to God were busted up, broken, hurt, wounded, confused, scared, sick, in need. And they came as they were. Until we come with the attitude, Lord, really, I have nothing to offer. We'll never really understand how much we need God's grace. But I want to tell you this morning, God's grace is a perfecting grace. God's grace changes us. God's grace reaches in and touches our heart. It talks about God making that that, that cold heart of stone into a, a heart of flesh. In other words, a soft heart. God's grace does that. I am what I am by the grace of God. Nothing without God's grace. God's grace pursued me. God's grace paid for me. God's grace is perfecting me. Fourthly today, God's grace is a protecting grace. Especially to you children of God. Listen to point four and point five today. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul. One of the greatest men of God the Bible has ever recorded. You have to put him right up there with King David, Joseph. Second Corinthians chapter 12. 
verse 7 through 10. Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul prayed that this thing, whatever it was, would leave him three times. Finally, God answered on the third time and said, I'm not going to take it away, but my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Understand, God's grace is a protecting grace. God knows how to see us through. Paul called this thing a messenger of Satan. Some of you have been saved recently, and you'll be able to really identify with what I'm about to say. Some of you have been saved a long time, and you'll be able to point to a multitude of times in your life when you could say, yeah, that's true, preacher. You know, when you first get saved, it's like everything changes. And if you've ever been touched and you've been born again, in John chapter 3, you must be born again. When you're born again, you'll know it. Nobody else will have to tell you. I'm telling you, in the matter of a moment, my life changed. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to be in church. All I wanted to do was what God wanted to do. I wanted to turn away from sin. Every wicked thing I'd ever done, I didn't want to be around it. I just wanted to leave it. There was no 12-step process. There was nobody trying to convince me mentally that it would be in my best interest to go the other way. God's grace, in the matter of a moment, touched me, and I was born again. Now, when that happens in a person's life and you're just showered with God's grace, it's like the lights come on. I mean, you see life for the first time. If you would have told me that I didn't know what it was to live, I would have said you were crazy. But for 20 years, I walked in death. That's what the Bible calls being outside of God, death. That's what the second death is. It is actually living eternally distanced from God, which is death. For 20 years, I walked in death. That's all that I knew. But then I found life. Oh, and everything changes. You just want the whole world to know. You want your family to know. You want your friends to know. You want to go get the megaphone and tell the world God is real. He changed my life. It's not just religion. It's not just going to church. There is a real, living, eternal God. And I've met Him and He changed me forever. You want the whole world to know. All you can do is think about God. All you want to do is sing Christian songs, hear Christian things, be in church every time you can be in church. Then comes the devil. Then all of a sudden life happens and you find out you're still living in this world. You find out that not only are you still living in this world, but there still happens to be that old nature that keeps trying to take control. You might fall on your face and then all of a sudden the voice of the enemy, he stands over you. He says, you must not really love God. Maybe this whole God thing is not all that it's cracked up to be. 
Maybe it doesn't really work. Maybe God doesn't really love you. Maybe you'll never find what the rest of these people have. Maybe they're just faking it, pretending that they love God. Maybe, maybe whatever's happening is just not going to happen for you. And confusion begins to sink in. And the thing doesn't seem as bright as it used to be. And you open the Bible and it seems like you can't get anything out of it. You try to pray and then you start to wonder if it even matters to pray. This is real Christian life, friends. This happens. Listen to the preacher this morning. Paul said three times, God, take this thing away. God said, my grace is sufficient. God's grace will see us through. God's grace is a protecting grace. Your loving Father this morning, child of God, He knows that you're in a battle. He knows that there's an enemy that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He knows that we live in a world that's contrary to everything He tries to tell us. He knows that it's not always easy. He knows that you're going to fall flat on your face. But He knew that the day He called you. He knew that the day He saved you. And when you fall, and when you falter, and when you fail, know that God's grace is sufficient in that time. He loves you because He loves you, not because of what you do, not because of how you perform, but because His grace is a protecting, loving grace. And when we fail, you can trust God is going to see you through. Don't beat yourself up. Just get up. Don't lay there on the ground and agree with the enemy that's where you belong and kick yourself too. Just get up and say, my God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. There have been so many times in my life I felt like I really just failed God. Thoughts that I just didn't control. Sometimes actions that eventually came out of thoughts I didn't control. Sometimes just being lazy and not, not wanting to be committed to God in and, and, and my Bible study and my reading. Sometimes just not being loving the way I should be loving and, and not treating people the way I know God wants them to treat people. Then Saturday comes. I think to myself, I've got to get up and preach tomorrow. God, how could you use somebody like me? How are, you going to, how are you going to work tomorrow through somebody who's failed you the way I failed you this week? Don't ever use God's grace as an excuse to sin. But listen to the preacher when I tell you it's in those moments you've got nothing but God's grace to lean on. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, God, I've got nothing to offer you. I haven't been the best son that I could be this week. I've had a bad attitude the last couple of days. But I'm appealing to your grace. That's what I'm appealing to. No reason, no merit, nothing I've done. I'm appealing to your grace, God. Use me tomorrow. Open somebody's blinded eyes that they can see. Somehow work through this person that fails you so often. Use me, God, and I appeal to God's grace and I have to get up and I've got to preach on the authority that God's grace 
is a perfecting grace. He has not done with me yet. And it's a protecting grace. God's not going to hand me over to the will of my enemies. God's not going to hand me over to my failures and every time that I fall. But His grace is going to reach down and pick me back up. And His grace is going to say, Jonathan, I'm not done with you yet. Uh, My grace is sufficient. You might be weak. You might have infirmities. You might fail me, but my grace is bigger than your weakness. Now you get up and you preach God's Word on the basis of I am who I say I am, and my grace is sufficient for you. That's the God that we serve. I am what I am by the grace of God. And finally today, God's grace is a prevailing grace. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 has been the most comforting passage of all passages in my life. When I'm afraid that it might not work, when I'm afraid that it might fall apart, when I'm afraid that something bad might happen and the ministry might not go on and I might fail, this one verse has been your pastor's most important verse in my entire Christian life. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 7 too, but... Let's look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Paul says, I'm confident that he that began the good work will finish it because you are all partakers of with with me of grace. God is able to accomplish what he started regardless of the opposition from the enemy. All that we've got to do is trust and obey. Be confident. Be confident. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Be confident, Christian. Be confident. That's assured. Not wavering. God wants you to have confidence that He's going to finish what He started. Not an arrogant cockiness, but a confidence on the power of God's Word. I'm telling you, when you get a hold of grace, it won't make you cocky and arrogant. Because you realize how much you need it. It's unmerited. It's when you think you deserve it that you become cocky and arrogant. But when you realize, I have nothing to offer. None of the good things that have happened out of my life, nothing good that's ever come out of my mouth, nothing good that's ever been done through these hands was done in and of myself. It was done by the grace of God. I have nothing to boast of. Nothing whatsoever. I was a hopeless sinner without God. And without Him, I would be nothing else but a hopeless sinner. Oh, but the grace of God. And be confident, He said, that He who started it is going to finish it. What did I say at the very beginning? God is a pursuing God. He's the one that started it in the first place. God started it at the beginning and He'll finish it at the end. I'm just blessed to be part of the marvelous plan. God is going to finish what He started. And when we look around this church and 
and we look at all the, the, the things to be negative about and this going on in the world and that going on in the world, it's easy to become discouraged. But this morning, let's get our eyes back on Jesus. Let's get our eyes on our God. Let's remember that He's able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. And His grace that started this thing out, His grace will lead us home. We have come this far by His grace. Every step that we take from this from this very moment will be by His grace. And when God is done with us, His grace will land us safely home forever in that place we call heaven. That's God's grace. That is the hope of the church. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. This is the thing that trips up so many people. How can it be that easy? Well, actually, it's not that easy. Does that look easy to you? They nearly beat him to death. They stripped him naked, tore the flesh off of his back publicly. They spit on his face. They plucked the beard from his face. They put a crown of thorn on his head. They blindfolded him, hit him over the top of the head. His blood ran down his face. They beat him so bad, so bad, they couldn't recognize him. It might be easy on our part, but it wasn't easy on his. You can see, this is where we get tripped up. We, we, we feel like if there was something we could do, then, then, then everything would make sense. Just tell me, I have to do this thing and that thing. It wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. The only way you can be saved is to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and to appeal to God's grace to wash away your sins, to change your heart, to be honest enough to acknowledge to Him, God, I am a wicked sinner. I can't change my heart. It's wicked. It's just hardened. It's ruined from years of sin. Lord, nothing can change in me unless You reach in and touch your, my heart with Your hand and change it. And Lord, I'm willing. I appeal to Your grace not because of anything I've done, but because of what You've done. And because I believe You are able. And I believe that You love me even though I'm not worthy of being loved. God, if You'll just touch me and change me, if You'll pull Your grace out on me, God, I'll serve You the rest of my life. In that moment, everything changes. In that moment, God's grace is poured out the windows of heaven and the cleansing of your soul happens. It's not a process. It's not about going through classes. It's not about having me do something to you. It is about the power of God changing your heart. This morning, if you're lost, God's grace is a pursuing grace. And you are in the story of Luke chapter 14. God stands this morning and says, Come. Come. Will you make an excuse? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. Maybe some other time. 
Will you come? Because the offer is today. Today's the day of salvation. This morning I pray that some of you children of God be encouraged by the power of God's grace. All be encouraged. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Don't ever use God's grace as a license to sin, but rest in God's grace that His grace is sufficient when you do sin. We have an advocate in the Father. And when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is a gracious, loving God. Oh, when we grab a hold of this, we understand why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. I'm not here this morning to tell you that my life is perfect, but I am here to tell you that my God is. And I am here to tell you that I don't use that as an excuse to say, don't follow me. You look at my life and you follow me. And if you see something in me that you can say, brother, that's wrong, you let me know. And I'll listen to you and we'll pray about that together. And if if it's wrong, I will repent of it. But I'm willing to live a life in front of you and in front of my family where I can say, I'm not perfect. I am what I am by the grace of God, though. And let's keep walking and doing this thing together. Lord, I pray that You move all across this room. In Jesus' name, thank You for Your grace. God, we would not be saved but for Your grace. This morning, may we honestly examine our hearts and ask ourselves, have we ever allowed Your grace to change us? Have we ever responded to Your gracious offer to come? None of the people in the story argued the king wasn't real. They all believed he was king and they all believed the invitation was there, but they waited and they waited. Lord, I pray this morning. So you thought you had to keep this up.